We are in our new sermon series, Basic Christianity from Psalm 110. And last week, which I would encourage you to check out if you missed it, um, one of the things we talked about is when you read Psalm 110, packed in there is every part of the Apostles' Creed. Either It's either really obvious, right, G- Jesus, uh, the King, or um, you can get there by easy implication. And so what we learned last week is that Psalm 110 is this long-promised good news announcement that this is what God was going to do through his son, Jesus. Right, that he would send Jesus to be king and priest, to, to die and rule for sinners, and God will not change his mind uh, because of his own, because of who he is. And so today, what we're going to do now is just start working through the Apostles' Creed, and I want to start with this ancient, it's, it's an ancient creed, it's an ancient summary of what the Bible says, and it starts with, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And so let's, let's read Psalm 110. Again, I'm hoping you, this just, you learn, yeah, maybe you'll memorize Psalm 110 as you hear it over and over again as we go through it, either by accident, hopefully intentionally. <laughs> so let's, let's read God's word. It is his, it's the power of the gospel to change us. So let's listen to him speak. This is God's word, a Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and revealed to us in love. Let's pray. Our wise Father and Almighty God, we say again with David, who are we that you pay attention to us, that you communicate to us? Uh, We have been honored more than we we know, and so I pray as we hear you speak today, do not let us take that for granted. And so we ask now that as we hear, uh, you would give us ears to do that. Uh, You would renew and strengthen our faith in you as our generous creator, our almighty king, our good father, who gives us his best himself, Jesus' son. And so Holy Spirit, come and change us to become like our Savior who first loved us. Make us a people loving and generous as we see your, your generosity in creation. In Jesus' name, amen. He said the Apostles' Creed is an ancient summary of the Christian faith, and it talks about God being the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And so when you come to Psalm 110, really the question that we're asking is, who is this Lord God who would promise to send somebody to put every enemy on the earth under his feet? Who is the Lord who would promise and plan to send someone greater than a king of a small kingdom in Israel, David, to defeat evil, to defeat sin, to defeat suffering, and to even bring his enemies and make them on his team? to join the Lord's army, so to speak. 
And I know when we read Psalm 110, especially if you're a longtime reader of the Bible, one of the things you just take for granted is the beginning of the story. Right? Who is the Lord? Well, he's the creator. And we go, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. <laughs> right? we, just, we just forget that the Lord is the Lord of creation, and we just automatically fill in the gaps because it, because it is familiar. And so Psalm 110 starts with this earth-shattering good news announcement about Jesus that the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, will not give up on his creation on us by sending this great king, uh, his, someone to sit at his right hand as he will put enemies under his feet. And so what I want to do is we're going to look at creation, the doctrine of creation, is just remind you that when we talk about Jesus as Redeemer, it's good news because the creation story is true. Uh, that, that Psalm 110 is connected to a bigger story that began with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and Psalm 110 is answering the question of, what will God do now that creation has fallen and ruined by us, his, his cosmic enemies who have committed cosmic treason? And his answer is to send a king and a priest to make things right again. And so... You want to know what basic Christianity is? Basic Christianity starts with this, that everything that exists, that moves, that lives, that has its being, it's all due to the personal pleasure and power and will of the Lord Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth, the Lord of Psalm 110. And so we're going we're gonna to meditate on that. What does it mean to say God is our maker? And so before we do that, just pause for a moment. Think about your week how much time did you spend in this, this last week outside of church, um, outside of church functions? Um, think about everything you read other than the Bible, every store you walked into, every restaurant you ate in, every music you listened to, every TV show or movie you binged, um, the conversations you had with a coworker. I mean, how often did, did this whole idea, did somebody come and speak to you and say, the Lord is creator? It's not very often outside of these walls, outside of on Sunday morning. Right. I mean, most of what we get is silence. You just have to do you this week. In some cases, you get the exact opposite, right? Where, where you're taught that the world has an indifferent, impersonal beginning that we're, you know, we're the accidental reaction of two atoms colliding just right and everything just happened to just show up and here we are so you just live your life until you die All right. when i was uh, in college i got to visit and and go to a biology 101 class in at the university of buffalo visiting a friend and one of the real i've never forgotten it it was the way that the course started was a video made by the professor right it showed the cosmos uh, the Big Bang, that, that's how it was supposed to do. And it started with the theme track from 2001, A Space Odyssey. And I'm sure you can hear, some of you are familiar. I, I do it with my mouth trumpet, but I'll just ruin it. But timpani and trumpets, and boom, the world comes into existence. And he says, in the beginning, there was nothing. And as the, the story goes on, it just shows everything coming from nothing. Ooze just magically turning into life and evolving and turning into animals and eventually you get to the miracle of human existence and the video basically ended uh, with the professor saying in in the beginning was science that is all 
and 200 college freshmen just started clapping and cheering and celebrating that they had an indifferent, impersonal universe that did not give a rip about them because they were so convinced that this God who created them would be against them. Uh, they were afraid of him. And so what happened was, in that particular case, when you go off to secular university in some places, um, right, you're being taught doctrine, you're being taught a worldview, you're being taught a secular creed, a rival story to the Christian worldview that, that you have no personal beginning. You just are. And people cheer the fact that they have no idea what they're losing when you reject the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I have no idea the misery, the harm, and the loneliness that that, that causes. And so, what I'm going to do this morning is we're going to turn to Psalm 8, which is a reflection on creation. I just want you to, to feel comfortable to affirm this is a good, powerful truth of the one basic reality that God created. Don't, don't, be, don't be ashamed of it. It's a radically different way of seeing the world than your neighbors, but it is... It is a good, true, and beautiful story. So let's look at what is lost when you reject the truth and reality that the Lord is the maker in heaven and earth. And the same author of Psalm 110 is the author of Psalm 8, so I'm going to read it. It's this unparalleled, beautiful hymn celebrating God, God's goodness and his grace. So listen to Psalm 8, celebrating creation. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, and out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and all the beasts, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful hymn. What I want to do is pull four things out for you this morning that we are made uh, we are honored, we are frustrated, and we are loved. We have been visited. So let's look at what it means to be made. What does David see when he looks at the world? All right. What he sees everywhere is the name of the Lord and the glory of the Lord in all the earth. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. It's saying, he's looking around and saying, everywhere I look, I cannot not hear God speaking to me that he made this. This is a world that owes its existence to the Lord who has a name, Yahweh. The Lord of Genesis 1 and 2. It's so good. And he's, he's declaring in awe, he's celebrating, this is awe and wonder, Lord, you made me, you made this beautiful world I live in. And he cannot look around without seeing that the Lord is a mighty king, the king of creation, our majestic maker and designer. So when he looks at the moon and the stars at night, when he looks at the beasts of the field, uh, even babies and infants are all saying the Lord is sovereign, he is in charge, uh, he is the reason we are here, our creator. That you have a personal 
a loving, generous creator who is the cause of you, <laughs> your beginning. Right. And so what I want you to do is just think about how personal the doctrine of creation is here according to Psalm 8. I mean, David in verse 3 says, it's the work of God's fingers. It's God's fingers that form the stars, those giant balls of gas that we see twinkling at night. It's, and fingers have a personal touch, right? If you are anybody who's ever done any kind of pottery with any kind of skill, which is, you know, I have none, right, you are intimately touching and molding and shaping uh, the clay to form it. You know, it's a work of your fingers. And one of the things that David is saying, one of the many, is when he looks at the heavens, he's, he's blown away by the bigness of God who would take these stars, the moon, these massive heavenly beings, and they're formed by his fingers. So what kind of God is that? <laughs> How big is he to be able to just say, yeah, I'm, I'm holding them in, the, in my hands. I put them in place. Or as we, I, I referred to in our prayer this morning, as Job chapter 39, I mean, God just turns to Job and says, well, do you put chains on the stars and keep them in place? Do you have anything to do with the everyday life of Orion, those stars up there in the heavens? David's looking around and saying, this is personal. How majestic is his name in all the earth? As a personal touch. We are made, and even greater than he moves from just the, the, the impersonal things of, uh, you know, the stars that don't talk. <laughs> and then he says, out of all the vast things you see when you consider the cosmos, if you've ever Googled Hubble Space Telescope type photos, that they have the grand emptiness, and then you look at the earth, he's saying, what is man that you're mindful of him, that you made this thing that we call life on earth for human beings? And he's personal. He's, he's present tense, mindful of us. Right? That's what he says. What is man that you are mindful of, of him? He's actively caring, actively interested in you and in me. If you want to tie all that together, that we, you, know, you and I, have been made by the same fingers that formed the Milky Way, countless other galaxies, and the, the one who made that with the very word of his power pays attention to you, pays attention to me. You're, we are made. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, right? Almighty power, the maker, maker of heaven and earth. Or as, as our confession says, the Westminster Confession of Faith, here's why you are here. It pleased God, the Father, the Son, and Holy Ghost to show his eternal power, his wisdom, his goodness, to make, to make in the beginning from nothing the world and everything in it. In the space of six days, all very good. David's just tapping into that. Right. And so let me ask you, do you know how to do that? Do you know how to go out into the world and see something other than your own, your own world? Right. Do you know how to go out and look at creation and see beauty? Right. I mean, part of it, yeah, you go into the Adirondacks and you feel the sun on your face and light dancing among the leaves. And it's refreshing, it's transcendent, it's a spiritual experience, as some people will tell me. But do you know how to trace the sunbeam back to the one who made the sun? That, that's what it's there doing. It's screaming God's glory, his power, his wisdom, his beauty. 
And then say, he cares for me, as David says. What, is, what are human beings that you would care for us? And I love how one of, one of the authors that helps me do that is a guy named N.D. Wilson. I and mean, here's how he describes the doctrine of creation. He says, in the Christian story, the material world came into existence at the point of speech. God spoke. And that speech was ex nihilo, from nothing. God did not look around for some cosmic goo, nor did he recycle or cut up some old gods to make something new. No, he sang a song. He composed a poem. He began a novel so enormous that even the Russians are dwarfed by its heaped up pages. (laughs) You are spoken. We stand on a spoken stage, the spinning kind, talking about the earth, the round kind, the moist kind, the kind of stage with beetles and laughter and babies and dirt and snow and fresh-cut cedar. And he's just looking around and saying, do you see how amazing the spinning world is that we live in? And we live on a stage where God is the playwright. And you can see why David explodes. How majestic is your name in all the earth? You cannot escape him. You cannot escape his goodness and his beauty and his majesty. And majesty is a great world, a great word. Try that. Try it again, because majesty is about God's strength and power. Right? You think the majestic mountains, how strong and enduring they are. But it's also a beauty word that grabs your attention. That's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. Beauty is something that grabs you by the face and forces you to stare at it. David says that's the truth about God. How majestic is your name? You cannot look anywhere on earth without seeing the beauty and majesty of this personal God who made you. That's all packed into I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. That's the Lord of Psalm 110 who promised long ago to send Jesus to die for you. And so let me pause for application because creeds are practical, right? I know you may have heard deeds, not creeds. What the creed is doing is summarizing Psalm 8 and and the whole story of the Bible and what Genesis 1 is telling you to do is just to go outside when you can. Look at the dirt, look at the the skies, look at the heavens. Just, Just learn to look for the majesty of your God and you will see it. And then ask, who am I that he would pay any attention to me? Because it's so easy in, in the busyness of work and family and pressure to just keep your head down and just not look around. How many times have you walked in the forest and stopped and realized there is a whole world of life in the soil, that the trees are communicating, as the scientists will tell us, controlling how they grow? Right? All that made by the mind that made you and I. Look for the beauty and majesty of your God as your maker. Now, that's the message of Psalm 8. You are made, but not everyone sees us as, as beautiful as they should. Um, we, it's, it's a battle. But what, one of the things you're going to have to do now is see how honored we are as individuals. We talked about creation in general. What about people? Right? We are honored. Verses 5 through 8. Tell us what it looks like to be a human being, God's intention in making you as a human being, to be made in the image of God. One of the things David is doing is reading Genesis 1 through 3 and composing the psalm. He's meditating on it. What does it mean to be in the image of God? Verses 3 and 4 makes David feel insignificant and small 
Verses 5 to 8 lifts you up to be honored. It says that you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. And what, part of what David is saying, Lord, look at how great and grand your name is as my maker. And you pay attention to me, and even greater yet, you made me to rule just like you. It's astounding, because to be crowned is to be a king or to be a queen. That's the intention of creation. Human beings were made to be lords of the earth. It's royal language. To be crowned with glory and honor is to be described in the same language we use to describe God. These are attributes of God being ascribed to us. All through the Psalms, it'll say, ascribe to God glory, ascribe to God strength, give God honor, give him attention. And what David is saying, look at the maker of the earth who crowns human beings with glory and honor to run everything on this planet. (laughs) God delegated. He made us in in his image and in his likeness so that we might reflect a bit of his glory and his honor the way a, a son reflects the likeness of a father, or the way a statue reflects the likeness of the king of that land. That's, that's what David's getting at. The human beings were designed by nature to be a lord and a lady of this earth, king and queens, made in the image of God, under God's authority. But man, look at how high you've been honored. How generous is this God who doesn't just say, you are here to serve me. You are here to feed me. Bring me my food for I am, I am hungry. You are here to, to solve the problem of my existence because I'm so lonely. No, that is not the picture at all. It's this giving, ever-giving, life-giving God who just pours out. And that's why he made, made us in Psalm 8. Your creator loves you and sustains you and endowed you with dignity and significance just by virtue of being human. That is a high honor, a king and a queen. And so if you just, part of my frustration in this sermon, my mind went 101 different directions, but you just... We could come back and do a whole sermon on the image of God. Part of it is you're made to to know the God who made you. One of the astonishing implications is David, the king of Israel, right? He's at the top of his his pyramid scheme, so to speak, in Israel. When he says human beings are crowned with glory and honor, he also has in mind his servants, those who would wash his feet, because they're human. What are, what are human beings that you would create them so? I mean, this, this doctrine that, that human beings are created is the only place in the history of human thought that says every person is valuable and important and significant no matter their weaknesses, whatever that looks like. I mean, David would eat meals with Mephibosheth, which was of the family of his enemy, King Saul who was dropped as a child and was crippled in his feet. And what to, to be crowned with glory and honor, to be made in the image of God, is to have as much, as much right to life as the king, because he belongs to the Lord. Right? And this is incredibly radical, because nobody knows how to say everybody matters without the doctrine of creation. We're trying, but Freud, he would say people are trash. <laughs> right? Somebody you want to go to for counsel. 
Uh, Stalin. To him, people were just a statistic as millions died. Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, he says, I see no reason to say a baboon or a sand is, is, is I see no difference to see that human beings are any more important than a baboon or a grain of sand. Right, so if I, were, if I were to go grab Samson, but that would ruin his whole day, right, and held up a bag of dirt, what's more important? Everyone in here wants to say the child, but without a personal God, you have no reason to say the sand matters more than the, the, the baby. David is rejoicing at the honor God gives us when he made us. He gives us dominion over the works of his hands to put all things under our feet. The world was given to human beings to rule as he rules, to have everything subjected to you. Now, just you hear that, right? That you are a king and queen made in the image of God, made in the likeness of God. Anyone else here frustrated and feel like this is your life? <laughs> Right? You feel like a king and queen right now, based on what happened, even in the last week. Right? You should hear a ret- the, uh, the record scratch sound, like, wait a second, David, what are you talking about? Nothing is in subjection under my feet. It's, it's just an illustration to say, I'm in control. Right? What control do you have? That's what I'm saying, we're, we're made, we're honored as those who are made, but we're also frustrated and fallen. We're fallen kings. Because I find Psalm 8 frustrating as well as beautiful, and so does the New Testament. Because Psalm 8 says, you were designed to be here, but I feel like I'm down here getting stomped on. Crowned with glory and honor, but what animals really listen to you? Right? And I'm supposed to be a lord of the earth, and when I was 12 year olds, I, I got a, like a, a, a cow hoof print on the chest. And if this cow was supposed to be under my feet, Right, or on my plate. <laughs> it didn't taste like it because I was in the gutter. I mean, do you see how frustrating this psalm is? Because it doesn't describe the world we actively live in right now. Because we have enemies. I mean, what in your life do you actually have dominion over? When you're driving on Route 87 and a deer smashes up your car. Or is all the things we prayed for this morning is our bodies um, no matter how hard we try and hold on to, they, they remind us who's in charge. Gravity wins. Uh, we're getting old. <laughs> or parenting. Right? If all things are supposed to be under my feet, then everyone would listen to me. <laughs> my kids included, and my kids are saying the same thing, and that's why we have conflict. Right? Or if you're at church on Sunday, a couple weeks, and Microsoft decides to update the computer, right? We'd, I mean, you can just spend a lot of time just meditating on how frustrating this is because if we are made to be here, this is not my experience. So what is David talking about? If I'm made in the likeness of God, why can't I tame my tongue? Why can't I stop from lashing out and hurting the people I love most? I praise God on Sunday and then I go out and praise people made in the image of God. James would say that's not how things are supposed to be all things under our feet. Verse 2 says there are people in this world called avengers and enemies who who hurt, who harm, and uh, who use power 
this honor God's given them, the, the, the responsibility to steward this world well, they use that for their own ends and they harm other people. And if you read the whole Bible, you realize that that's also describing me. <laughs> and so if Psalm 8, really what it's getting you to do is saying, this is what God intended. Look at how far away from where we really are. If God made human beings a little lower than the angels, a little lower than the heavenly beings, to put all things under our feet, why do I have so much suffering in my life? It makes you long for a new creation, life everlasting. And that's, that's point four. Right? If we're made and we're honored, we're not feeling that honor because life is, is winning. Um, the point of this psalm uh, says we are visited. Right? It's because there's so much suffering that people will look at the vastness of the cosmos and say, well, there is no creator. He doesn't care about me. But listen again to verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him? What is this, and the son of man that you care for him? And if you are, um, have read the King James or, or, or hold on, reading the New King James, one of the interesting things is it says, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? So what does it mean for God to think of you and to remember you? What does it mean to be thought of and cared for? It means to be visited. That is a powerful statement. I remember my grandfather. I'll call him from time to time or send him a birthday card. My grandfather is a retired farmer who's, uh, who's getting older. He's 86. He lives alone. I can tell him I remember him. But the way to remember him in the most personal way possible is to show up at the farm. Uh, to give him a hug, to spend time eating, to talk to him. And so what David is saying is, what is man that you are mindful of him? What are human beings that you come to visit them? That's what the maker of heaven and earth does. And it's just a mystery at this point until you get to Luke chapter 1, verse 68, when it says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. It's saying that Lord literally came down to earth. It's celebrating the birth of Jesus. He came to visit. Because of the tender mercy of our God, it's like the sunrise himself shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. See, Psalm 8 makes you, it doesn't leave you satisfied with just the poem. It makes you look forward. And Psalm 8's answer is in the New Testament in the reality that God himself in the person of Jesus came to visit us. And he didn't come to, uh, to destroy. He came with grace. He came with mercy. He was so mindful of us, he came down to visit. The king of creation came down. And Psalm 8 verse 2 tells us the form in which he would do it. It was as a child. How does this God rule? You would think he'd be, you think the way people reject him, they think he's going to come down with a sword and there's going to be bodies everywhere and we're going to talk about that from Psalm 110 eventually. What Psalm 8 says, it's through the weakness, through children, right, that are sitting among us. Jesus came not in masterful display of strength with an army behind him to destroy all who oppose his will. He came born in a barn 
to be subjected to every part of frustration and suffering that this world has to offer, including death. And, that, and that's, that's what Psalm 8 telling you. Jesus knows how frustrating it is to be human because he, the, the King of Kings, became the servant of his enemies, even to death on a cross. Hebrews 2.8 is where I'm getting this from, right? I'm not, I'm not making this up. Hebrews 2, if you want to turn there, I'm just going to read it, and then we'll, we'll close with application. It says, God, in putting everything in subjection to Jesus, he left nothing outside of his control, but at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But here's what we see. Him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, who was crowned with glory and honor, right? Straight out of Psalm 8. He crowned him with glory and honor because of Jesus' suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And it was fitting that Jesus, by whom, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, that he should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call his brothers. Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect that he might become a faithful and merciful high priest to make propitiation a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And because he has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. There's a lot there. It's a whole other sermon for another day. But did you hear it? Jesus came, crowned with glory and honor by being subjected to death for us. And it's because, that's what makes Jesus so relatable. Uh, the, this high priest promised in Psalm 110 is because he came down as the highest as a human being to be subjected to futility and frustration. But he did so perfectly in order to crown you and I with the, the, the honor and glory that was intended from the beginning. crowned through his death. <laughs> so, that's the invitation. Well, here's what it means to be human, to, to say, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. It means you have been made, you have been honored. Uh, you, yes, life is frustrating, but the answer to the frustration and the futility and the pain and suffering and death is Jesus made human. And God is putting all things under his feet. And as your body fails and when you're frustrating, you're called to look to him. Say, I need you, Jesus, to put this under your feet because I can't. Help me. Help me be patient while I wait. Help me to deal with my frustration. Help me to see that you love me even though it doesn't feel like it because you were crowned through suffering. And if I'm going to be crowned with glory and honor and be sanctified and changed, it's going to be through hardship the same way as I follow you. See, when you say, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, you're saying, I have a creator who loves me so much to visit me. and He is with you in that suffering. And so, one simple application. <laughs> there's a lot, there's 101, this is, one of, this is one of the frustrating parts of this sermon. I had too many ideas and there's not enough time. <laughs> one simple application, if God honors people under him, people that, uh, that seemingly are inferior, <laughs> right? 
Because they're created. If God honors people by visiting them, what should that tell us as those who are made in his image? If God rules and reigns over his creation by visiting, how should that affect the the culture of the church? His followers, uh, kings and queens and Jesus' kingdom. We should say, I care about you. I'm mindful of you. Therefore, I'm going to come visit you. (laughs) It's not that complicated. That's why we have a pastor of congregational care. But learning to be mindful of others as God is mindful of you, to visit for each other, to honor people with your presence, uh, to honor, to take the, the initiative to go say, come eat with me. <laughs> Let's talk about what's frustrating and look at Jesus who sits at the right hand of God and ask him to work on it, because I can't. I'm waiting for all things to be under his feet. So come and worship the Lord your God. He is your maker and we belong to him and it's a gift of grace. He made you and he died for you and he's rising. And one day, the new creation is coming. And that is our hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the goodness and wonder of this world we live in. And I pray as we are frustrated about various things today, we would look to Jesus who sits at your right hand, your answer to all our frustrating frustrations. And give us eyes to see him and a heart that is willing to trust him, even with our unbelief. And if there are those who are trying to figure out what all this means, well, show them that you have visited us in real space and real time in human history because you love us and want to dwell on earth with us. Until then, give us the strength to be patient, to endure all things, because you first endured all things for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to respond.